the phone rings. Do you answer it? No. Right, exactly. This might sound like a strange question, but I have noticed that even in myself, as technology has advanced and the phone isn't tied to a wall, in a room, in a house, my relationship to it has changed because phones follow us now. They come with us, so calls do too. And we've gotten really used to hearing phones ringing, just, you know, all over the place. So they're interrupting class, they're interrupting a dinner at a restaurant, a play, a movie, and God forbid, you know it's true even, church. But before cell phones, most of us would have, you know, never thought this could happen. Never thought that our daily lives would just be interrupted and we would be normalized to a constant ringing. And even if we do get annoyed by it, we are used to it. So when a phone rings now, I just, I don't answer it. I don't jump to answer it. And this is markedly different from, say, my mother. It's a little joke among my sisters and I. If a phone rings, my mom will answer it. If she's cooking in a kitchen, she will walk off, leave a sauce to burn, but she won't not answer a phone. So she'll sometimes pick it up and she'll be totally out of breath, panting from running for it, but she sure as heck is gonna get it. And my dad has this characteristic as well. I was totally mortified a couple years ago when I called my dad and he answered it and but he was sounding sort of muffled right so I said like what are you doing and he said well I'm in court I said what I said dad when you are on the bench it is rude to pick up the phone hang up it's embarrassing but my mom and dad, like many, many others, aren't numb to this ringing of the phone. So they're going to answer it, period, because somebody is calling. Now, I think it can be really easy when we read these biblical stories of folks being called by God, entrusted with this holy mission and purpose, to imagine that God's calling is reserved somehow for just the special people, right? We might accidentally fall into the belief that God is just talking to life's first-class passengers with their champagne flutes and caviar. Now, I don't know if they have those things. I've never been there, but I'm just saying that behind that flimsy curtain and that private bathroom, those people are getting the call. You get the drift. We can get to thinking with relative ease that God's in the business of commissioning the VIPs and not, surely not, us. I mean, today we've heard these pretty fantastic, even fantastical stories of two biblical giants being called, Jeremiah and Isaiah. Now, these were no minor prophets, right? They're the big ones, the quotable dudes. No offense to like Haggai or Habakkuk, but Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're biblical standouts, right? So of course we conclude that they were worthy of the summons. But that is not how they experienced God knocking on their doors. So let's take Jeremiah first. 
he's visited by the voice of God and asked to go to the nations and take to them the word of the Lord. Now, this is a huge job, and not many people would volunteer for it because being sent out to the nations is to go into enemy territory. God is going to send Jeremiah to the very people that have an active stake in the destruction of Israel. And the message he's told to deliver isn't an easy one. He's charged to deliver the message that Jerusalem, in fact, all of Judah, will fall. And he's to call for its demolition. Now granted, on the other side of that piece of news, God did want Jeremiah to pronounce what was to come after that. To point to the rebirth that would be possible. The planting season ahead when God would use that death to create new life. New possibility for God's people. But I'm sure Jeremiah wondered if anybody would even hear that part, considering the first. Now, it's enough to give anybody pause, and Jeremiah did. He says two things. I'm too young, and I don't have the words. Now, God engages the second one, right? The idea that, okay, maybe Jeremiah feels unprepared to speak for the divine, and so God touches his lips and offers that confidence that he needs. But I want to point out to you that God doesn't even dabble in the former hesitation. But I'm only a boy, Jeremiah explains. Now, this is not new information to God, obviously. But what we can learn from God's reaction to Jeremiah's very real sense of inadequacy feels important, and I think it's some good news that we need today. Because Jeremiah believed himself to be not enough, too unfinished for the job set before him. But I'm only, I'm not enough, I'm not grown enough, not mature enough, not smart enough, not certain enough of myself. I'm only. To this diminishment of self, God says, don't say that. Don't say that. I knew you when you were in the womb. I've known you, in fact, since before you've known yourself. Now we can hear God as he's saying to this resistant prophet, you are enough. You were never only anything. You are now, Jeremiah, though, he's not alone in this hesitation to answer God's call. He's not alone in thinking that he isn't worthy to stand up and to speak out for God's justice. So let's look at Isaiah. Now, Isaiah's encounter with God adds visual to the spoken word. So God is literally busting out of the temple with his grandeur and vastness, God is huge and surrounded by angels, six-winged angels, to be sure, right? And Isaiah, he doesn't even let God get to the call. He just jumps on it. He says in this epiphany, whoa, I'm lost. I'm totally lost. 
I don't know who or where I am, but I know I'm not enough, not good enough, not right enough with God even to stand before you, much less speak on God's behalf. Now God is having none of it. And when an angel swoops down to seal his lips to signify that this soul, this specific mouth will carry a message, Isaiah, well, he's finally convinced. So he's compelled to offer himself. His woe is me. It turns to here am I. And Jeremiah does believe that God calls him, even him. Now, Isaiah and Jeremiah, though, these guys are in great biblical company because our scriptures are chock full of folks who are called and commissioned by God to go and do remarkable things that they end up doing. But at the beginning of that call, they say, nope, not me. In one variation or another, they say, I'm only. Now, from Moses all the way to Mary and beyond, all sorts of people doubt themselves and the part that they play in God's project of love and justice. But it's not just these biblical heroes that are going to struggle with this stuff. Aren't we all fashioned in some way to carry out the good news of God's message to this very hurting world? And call isn't reserved for like, you know, professional Christians, weirdos like preachers and pastors like us. The call is for each of us, each of us. And how each of us is uniquely gifted to carry out some part of that mission, well, that's something we need to uncover. As Thomas Merton says, discovering vocation does not mean scrambling towards some prize that's just beyond my reach, but accepting the treasure of true self that I already possess. Vocation does not come from a voice out there calling me to do something and be something I am not. It comes from a voice in here calling me to be the person I was born to be, to fulfill the original selfhood given me at birth by God. God calls each of us, you, 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 God is calling us to join the divine transformation of the world. And with that, maybe we've got words to carry that out. Maybe we are gifted with the ability to speak truth to power in this same lineage of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Or maybe we're better equipped to offer words that are in a vulnerable sharing, lifting up what we need in our lives, lifting up the needs of others in prayer for those that can't utter the words themselves. Maybe it is to cook a meal, to hold somebody's hand in a hospital. Maybe your vocation is your skills to organize people, to come together for one purpose, to better the city, 
the community, or even the world. Or maybe it's just to use your voice in a chorus, maybe like our chorus of angels, lifting their voices, singing to the heavens to remind us of the spirit that is inside and all around us. We are each gifted with something. I don't know what that gift is for each of you, but I wonder, do you? Do you know that God does choose you? Not because of your confidence and your skill set or some proficiency in something, and not without insecurities and hesitations. God calls you as you, with all that you are, resistances included. Now, as you know, um, I'm part of the field ed teaching team at Union Theological Seminary. And as such, I work with students in their second year of divinity school. And that's when they're doing their ministry internships. So I help to pastorally and professionally support them as they're figuring out their vocational development. Now, one of my students this year is a remarkable woman. And I asked if I could share some of her story with you today, and so she agreed. She comes to ministry as a second career later in life, having worked and raised a grown son. She serves at a historic black Baptist church as a ministry intern. Her road has not been an easy one, and she's always felt the call of God on her heart to ordained ministry, to preach, to proclaim the good news, and to teach that to anyone who will listen. But knowing that call isn't answering that call, is it? I would like for you to hear her testimony of how she battles with this unrelenting inner and outer diminishment that can stop us all from saying, here I am. She says, this call is far from fictional. Its truth is a constant slow whisper, almost an incessant hum in my ear. The words whispered in my ear call me to acknowledge and to become, to trust myself. But I am a black woman living a half century and more in search of my garden. Will I, can I choose to lay down bags that brim with inherited and self-designed burdens, laced with guilt and shame and hurt? Will I, can I choose to walk bare instead of lacing up the cinder blocks that regularly dawn my feet? Can I bear such an audacious, unbelievable privilege to walk free for who am I without these things? Does she need to be in a pulpit? I fear that each of us understands far too well what she's feeling. In fact, I would bet that not a one of us here has managed to escape self-doubt, the pressure of insecurity, imposter syndrome. We're going to be found out. We carry around fears of failure and fraud, and because they are always with us, we can mistake them for the truth. They can morph in our minds into realities so that we believe we are only, we are not enough, we are insufficient and even unworthy. 
Now these diminishments, these discountings of our own sacred worth and purpose, they're made much worse when they are doubled down on by systems of injustice operating with intention and success to keep some down and allow others to prosper. Racism, ableism, homophobia, nationalism, the list goes on. And these real and successful systems can convince us that, sure, God calls, God even calls us, just not me. And as a people of faith, we have to acknowledge that it's even harder when the church is used as an avenue to dole out those messages. Church, big C, is all too often the site that those messages are created, promoted, and carried out. Maybe through our pulpits and Sunday school classes, or even our ecclesial leadership and corporate polity. Theological abuse takes place regularly, and we must confront it and claim it as ours, not as God's. Because it is the church that is denying its call to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, whose gospel, remember, was one of liberating love. Now, as the United Methodist Book of Discipline states, the people of God, who are the church made visible in the world, must convince the world of the reality of the gospel, the good news, or leave it unconvinced. There can be no evasion or delegation of this responsibility. The church is either faithful as a witnessing and serving community, or it loses its vitality and its impact. How true. Whether it is from church, from our society, from low expectations that have been passed on to us, or from those fears that are deep within. We can get stuck on this belief that we are only, not enough, unfinished. Let us remember this on this day and onwards. God knows how we feel, and God calls us still. Our resistances to God's calling us, our resistances to our own sacred worth, our resistances to seeing and believing our own potential, do not disqualify us from being a part of God's work to transform this world into a more loving and just place for us all. God is calling. Now, how are you going to answer it? Can you let go of, I am only, and embrace, here am I? May it be so.